Let's pray for God's help as we open His Word. Father, we thank You that You are a speaking God, and our prayer is that You would make us today a listening people who trust in the Lord Jesus. Open our eyes that we may see His protection and provision, and we ask it for the glory of His name. Amen. On May the 14th, a racist attack at Buffalo in New York supermarket snatched the lives of 10 people and left three more people injured. Ten days later, a gunman targeted a fourth grade class at an elementary school in Ouvlade, Texas, killing 21 and injuring 17. Shootings happen across the states with a depressing regularity, and the nation has seen at least 11 mass shootings since the start of July this year. That's, on average, 11 a week. It's worse in the United Kingdom, where the terror threat is now at substantial with MI6 aware of over 35,000 Mujahideen terror fighters on the streets scattered across the nation. They're tracking 22,000 jihadists 24-7. And security services say when it comes to the next terror attack, it's not a question of if, but when. And the attacks are indiscriminate. Nice, Marseille, Madrid, Manchester, New York. If it's not the terror attack, though, it could be the car accident, the plane crash, the cancer diagnosis, the prospect of financial ruin as the markets crash. The terrible reality is that this world is a very dangerous place. How we respond, though, will be determined largely by whether we are optimists or pessimists. The optimist will go around life saying, well, it's likely never to happen. The, the pessimist will be terrified by anxiety and fear. But this morning, we're with the psalmist, who's an excellent pastor. He's neither an optimist nor a pessimist, but a realist. And we can afford to be realists in a dangerous world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this Psalm 121 is the gospel, or if you like, a song for life in a dangerous world. It's actually the second song or the second psalm in a group of 15 psalms, which runs from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And this group of psalms are all called songs of ascent. Don't take it from me. Take it from the title that you can see in the original text. Literally, they are songs for going up. They would have been sung by climbers, 
Because in the law, Jewish men were required to journey from the rural areas of Judea three times a year for the great feasts, unleveled bread in the spring, the feast of the weeks in early summer, the tabernacles in the autumn. And each of these feasts in Jerusalem were massive, massive events, a bit like Thanksgiving or Christmas, I suppose, here in the States. The numbers would swell in the city, probably to over a million. I guess it's a bit like the Hajj in Mecca. So the picture here is of the pilgrim heading up to Jerusalem and to the city. And as they went up, and it is a big climb if you've been to Jerusalem, they would have sung these songs, these songs, the gospel, as they fixed their eyes on God and his city. But can I just say that this song and these songs are not just good for the Jews. These songs are good for Christians. Because in just the same way that the Jew was going up to Jerusalem on a long and dangerous journey, well, we're going up to heaven on a long and difficult journey. Actually, we're already there, theologically speaking. We've been raised with Christ and through his shed blood and broken body, we are already citizens of God's new heavens and new earth. Yet this is a long and difficult journey, full of threat and danger, our final destination, heaven itself. The world is full of climbers. There are social climbers who climb the social ladder. There are political climbers. I guess they're about to emerge as we look ahead to 2024. Uh, There's the financial climber who's desperate to try and make money on the markets, but ours is a different climb, isn't it? We're climbing by the power of the spirits as we keep our eyes on the new heavens and the new earth, on the day when Jesus Christ will return. But this is a very dangerous climb. And that's our first point this morning. Dangerous climbing because the psalm opens with an urgent question about a grave threat. I lift my eyes to the mountains. For us, we don't understand necessarily why that's so frightening. Surely the mountains are amazingly beautiful. The idea of climbing up in the Poconos or up in the Appalachian Mountains is a beautiful idea. We love to hike. But here, this question is not beautiful, but terrifying, because the mountains here stand not as the place of beauty, but as the place of ultimate threats. He's looking up to the mountains, because in the mountains, all sorts of risk lies ahead. First of all, the mountains were the places of false religion, the high places where they went to worship other gods, like the Baals. Maybe he's thinking of the hostile terrain, the long, arduous ascent, taking weeks in the sweltering heat of the midday Middle Eastern sun. Or is he thinking of the predators that lie up there? And I actually Googled this week uh, mountain climbing in Palestine. It was terrifying. There are at least seven species of venomous snake, including the deadly mole viper, um, scorpions, including the death stork, I think the clue is in the name. 
Um, the mountains are home to predatory animals, leopards and hyenas and jackals and cougars and wolves. And then, of course, there's the predator of the two-legged kind, the bandits, who would have pounced on you and ambushed you as you made your way to the temple because you would have been taking cash to buy the sacrifices, to offer in the temple. And this actually makes sense of the parable of the Good Samaritan. It was on this road that the guy was mugged and left for dead as he was robbed and taken, his money taken away. Pilgrims were easy pickings, loaded with money for their temple giving, exhausted alone on a mountain road a long way from home, an easy ambush. This climb is perilous. I've got to get through the mountains to get to Jerusalem, but my heart is pounding within me as I think of the terror of the threat that lies ahead. A clear and present danger and a tangible threat. And this pilgrim is asking a very basic question. Am I going to make it to Jerusalem at the end of the journey? And as you look ahead to heaven, let's be honest. This is your question too, isn't it? Will I actually make it to the new creation? Will I actually make it to heaven at the end of my life? Let me ask you, on a scale of naught to 10 this morning, if you had to answer that question, how sure are you of making it to heaven? Where would you put yourself on that answer scale? There's the world against me. My flesh against me. The, the devil against me. Maybe a diagnosis against me. Financial ruin against me. It is a dangerous climb. I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And this urgent question, verse 1, is followed by a confident answer in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. If in verse 1 he looks up to the terror of the mountains, in verse 2 he looks up even further to the power of God's, and he finds a cosmic answer to an urgent threat. The Hebrew is striking. My help comes from with the Lord's, because the picture is of personal dependence. This is the God's who enables the dangerous climb. And in verse 2, there are two powerful reasons to trust him. Both are the character of God. Two truths about this God. First, he's a God of promise. And he's a God of power. Of course, a God of promise who says, yeah, I'll help you, but who has no power. That's no help, is it? But what about a God of power who has all the power to help us but doesn't care? That's no help either. So who's God? He's the Lord or Yahweh, the promise-making, promise-keeping God who always keeps his promises to his people. He never goes back on his words. He always keeps the promises he's made. He's faithful. He's Yahweh the Lord. And Yahweh the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth. <clears throat> 
You know, it's like when you ring T-Mobile or Verizon or one of these providers and you've got a problem. I had a problem yesterday and we had another problem with another provider the other day. And you call, you can't get anywhere. So you say, can I speak to the manager? And they say, no, I will deal with your call. Please, please, can I speak to the manager? Eventually, you get through to the manager, and it goes nowhere. So you say, can I speak to the manager of the manager? C can, I, can I go higher up? And could you just get me to somebody up there who has the power to deal with the problem, please? Or in urgent care, you arrive, and it's a junior physician. He looks like he's 13 or, or something like that. And you say, please, can I see the specialist, your boss, the person who knows what he's doing? We love to know that the person taking care of us knows what he's doing. And as believers, we are under top-level care. We are under the care of Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, a sovereign king with jurisdiction over heaven and earth. Heaven, the high stuff. Earth is the low stuff. So he's in charge of heaven and earth. And can I say, if you're in charge of heaven and earth... If you're king over heaven and earth, there's not an awful lot left to be king over. It's called the whole world, as the children's song puts it. He has the whole world in his hands. One of the perils of parenthood, of course, is that no parent can watch his child 24-7. And we'll think about that in just a moment. But the point about this king, this God, is... His watch over us is continual. Listen to this from Spurgeon, which I read yesterday in his Treasury of David's. What we need for this journey is help. Help powerful. Help effective. Help constant. We need a very present help in trouble. What a mercy we have in our God's our hope is in Jehovah, for our help comes from Him. Help is on the road and will not fail to reach us in due time, for He who sends it is never too late. Jehovah, who created all things, is equal to every emergency. Heaven and earth are at His disposal. Therefore, let us be joyful in our infinite helper. He would sooner destroy heaven and earth than permit his people to be destroyed. Dangerous climbing, it leads us to sovereign protection. Because if you look carefully at the psalm, in verse 3, something weird begins to happen. It's as if in verse 3, somebody else begins to interrupt the psalmist. See how it slips from my to your in verse 3? Verse 3, he will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Is it as if another speaker interrupts or chips in? Maybe this is a song with a bit of response, uh, a response to the truth that we've just sung. Or maybe it's a conversation with a group of travelers, like a family. I think that's it. It reads like a dialogue, a bit like a gospel conversation. So, verse 1 to 2 is the declaration of faith. 
I look up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's my faith. But you know what? I waver in my faith. I'm a bit shaky in my faith. As the cancer diagnosis comes in, or as I'm attacked or persecuted in the workplace for my faith, as problems surround me, that declaration of faith is, is shaky, and I, I begin to wonder whether the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, really will get me through the mountain range. And it's as if somebody chips in from the side. That's right, Tony. Keep trusting in Him. Yes, He is faithful. You're right. He will not let your foot be moved. He will not fail you. The picture here is of a fatal uh, crash. Uh, For us, of course, the idea of breaking your ankle up in the Poconos isn't that terrifying. Um, Worst case scenario, um, you, you get on the satellite phone and the air ambulance will come and take you to urgent care, to the emergency room, to orthopedics. It'll be inconvenient, but eventually help will come. But not on this journey, not on this road. To break your ankle in the psalmist's day would have been fatal. No help. The end of the journey and more than likely death as the predators, and then the predators with two legs, move in for the kill. So the promise here is amazing. It is of stability and security throughout the journey. There will be stability and security all the way through your journey to final destination in the new heavens and the new earth. God's will make sure you get there in one piece. But will he? The psalmist says so, verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. This is great news. God is never too weak to help, never too indifferent to help, never too distracted to help, never too busy to help. He's never too exhausted to help. He's always present, always awake, always vigilant, always ready. And the reason the psalmist says, behold is because this is the most extraordinary truth. It's as if he's grabbing you by the scruff of your neck and saying, hey, he will never slumber or sleep. He will watch you and be with you and defend you and care for you 24-7 every nanoseconds of your life. A couple of years ago, I was speaking at a a conference um, in London, and I was talking to somebody over breakfast, I think on the second morning, and I'm quite nosy and interested in other people, so I got chatting with this guy, and I said, so what do you do for a living? And he said, oh, I'm uh, a policeman. So I pushed him and said, oh, are you in transport police, the Metropolitan Police, the City of London Police? Uh, He said, no, I'm in a different division. And the very fact he was resistant to answering my question made me even more interested. So I said, so what division are you in? So he said, I'm in protection. So I said, diplomatic protection or 
royal protection. He said, I'm in royal protection. So I said, where are you based? He said, Buckingham Palace. I said, wow, who do you protect? <laughs> he said, Her Majesty the Queen, or the Lady, as we affectionately know her in the palace. So my mind started racing. I said, so the Royal Regatta, were you there? Oh, yeah, yeah, I was there. Wow, so Trooping of the Colour, yeah. The Royal Wedding with Kate and um, William, y yeah, yeah, I was there. Wh where, where were you? And he said, well, cut a long story short, I'm always the guy on the back of the carriage, dressed in regalia. There are two of us. One is a real footman. The other one is a royal protection officer with an earpiece, a gun, a gun, a gun, a gun, all hidden, and eyes moving all the way around the route to make sure that she's safe. His name is Simon. He's a Christian believer. And I went back and watched the footage, and there was the footman looking like a footman, and there was Simon with his eyes. The security detail, it's an incredibly impressive uh, situation. But he's there to keep her safe. And he spoke about how the room is guarded, the palace is guarded. She is safe under royal protection, and we are safe under royal protection, guarded by God himself 24-7. He never takes a siesta never nips off for a lunch break, never falls asleep, is never away from us, always with us, guarding us forever. And this makes God different to all the other gods of the ancient world. In that showdown with the Baals on the mountain, the whole point there was that the Baals were asleep. And so the Baals clergy had to go up on the mountain and say, hey, Baal! Wake up! Are you there? Where's God gone? Maybe he's gone to the restroom, or he's gone for a lunch break, or he's gone on vacation, or he's on sabbatical. Our God is so different. Verse 5, he's your keeper, he's your shade, he's at your right hand. And the picture throughout is of powerful protection. Verse 3, he keeps you. Verse 4, he keeps Israel. Verse 5, he's your keeper. Verse 7, he will keep you from all harm. He will keep your life. Verse 8, he will keep your going and your coming. And he'll keep us in the plural. And you, Dana, and you, Dave, and you, Sarah, and you, Jim, in the singular. Verse 3 is in the singular, but verse 4 is in the plural. So he'll keep all of his people, the church, and each and every single one of us, individually. With his right hand, the picture of constant availability and power. He's not an armchair general or a distant deity like the deists believe, stuck upstairs. He's up close and personal. And in verse 6, we get a sense of the comprehensive care. For the sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all Evil, the sun, the moon. The sun here stands for external threat, the moon for internal turmoil. The sun will not strike you by day. The great terror as you walk through those mountains without sunscreen and hats, 
was that you would be struck by the sun in the Middle Eastern heat, and it is overwhelmingly hot, sunstroke, being smitten and attacked by the sun. Of course, we're fearful today of skin cancer. It's the same kind of thing, being struck by the sun. And the sun in the ancient world stands as the picture of the attack of evil, and it's a very powerful picture, isn't it? The sun is always there, burning down. Satan and evil are always there, burning down on you, blisteringly burning down relentlessly, and you can't get away from it. And so what you need is shade. And shade in the ancient world stands as the picture of protection. We need to be shielded and shaded from the blistering attacks of evil. This God will provide that for you. And not just from the sun, but the moon at night. And the moon in the ancient world stood as the picture of the strange influences on the mind. In fact, the word lunatic comes from the word lunar to do with moon. And if you ask gynecologists and obstetricians, they tell you that in maternity wards, a full moon does weird things, but it does things to the minds. So much so that in the ancient world, it was believed that the moon, if it was beaming down on you at night, could actually endanger your life or your health. It was thought that it could produce all kinds of diseases. And so in the ancient world, um, orientals would cover the faces of their children when asleep to protect them from the imagined effect of the moon on the health of the child as the moonbeam came in. In fact, Shakespeare speaks of this. In A Midsummer Night's Dream that I studied at school, the moon, the governess of floods, pale in her anger, washes through the air. And in Othello, it is the very error of the moon. She comes more near the earth than she was wont and makes men mad. So there's two threats, isn't there? the attack of evil from Satan. And then there's the internal attack of anxiety and worry and panic of the dark night of the soul as we fear and fret and fret. This God will keep us from the external blistering attacks of evil and from the internal anguish of the soul, whatever we're facing. And Horatia Spafford uh, wrote, writes that extraordinary hymn. Uh, you know the story. He lost his house and all his possessions in the great fire of Chicago. And then he lost his uh, sons. He put his wife and daughters on the ship, and they sailed for the UK. But on the ship, the storm came. And the ship was shipwrecked. She got to, 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 to Cardiff in Wales and telegrammed back to her husband, Horatio Spafford, to say, all is lost, only I am safe. Here's a man who loses his house and his money in the great fire of Chicago, who loses his sons and then his daughters. And as he gets on the ship to go to Cardiff to meet his wife, he writes the hymn in the middle of a storm. 
When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. For at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ takes the full blistering power of the sun as evil bears down on him as he's crucified for our sins. As he faces at the cross the full terror and weights and ferocity of the evil of the universe, as he takes my guilt and shame and is punished for me. And not only that, but by his Spirit, he gives me peace in my heart. As Wesley says, my heart strangely warmed, protection from evil and deliverance, and the peace in my heart. Verse 7 is the summary. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. All of this is beautiful and true. But then the phone rings. The biopsy is back. It's an aggressive cancer. And they're giving you three months to live. Or the phone rings and the voice says, I'm sorry, but there's been a terrible car crash and she is dead. Or on the other end of the voice, it says, I'm your employer. I'm calling in from the firm. Administrators have come in. The company is bankrupt. Your job is gone. Do you really believe this in your climb? And David is writing the psalm, but actually... He was one who faced all kinds of threats. But see, the promise is not that God will deliver me from every threat in the now, but rather he will keep me safe for the journey to the city of God. And the key to understanding this psalm is therefore to understand that word soul and to understand who is singing this psalm. The word soul there is not life, actually. It's not a promise that he will keep your life and that the hot air balloon will always come down to get you up, up, and away. It's not a promise that God will send a Chinook. So whatever the threat, he'll get you out and air vacuum to safety. We will face trials and pain. We're promised that. But the promise is that in the trials and the pain, God will keep our souls for the end. And the word here is soul. He will keep your ultimate life. Because the ultimate singer of this psalm isn't really us, but the Lord Jesus Christ. God did not keep him from Gethsemane, betrayal, execution. Actually, God allowed him to go to the cross. And at the cross, he descended to hell for us. But this promise was good for the Lord Jesus because on the third day he rose again from the grave. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so the Lord Jesus did go up in resurrection. And he did go up in ascension to be seated with God forever. So this was a song for going up, but the going up was through the pain and agony of the cross. This song is good for us, united to Jesus 
for through him we are headed for the new creation and the promise in him by the power of his spirit through the merits of his death is that we too are secure forever. The Lord will keep your going out, verse 8, and your coming in. Actually, if you think about it, the whole of your day is going out and coming in, isn't it? Six o'clock in the morning or five o'clock or whatever it is, you open the door, you go out, you close the door, and you, you do your day, and then you come back at the end. So is this the picture of the whole of the day? But actually, if you think about it, this is the picture of life. What is life? Well, you come out of the womb, and then you go back, as it were, to the ground in death. Whether it's daily life, going out, coming in, or whether it's life, birth, death, this promise is he'll keep you. Now, it's good for today and forever. It is good for the future. Which is why the New Testament writers can tell us exactly what we should do. And we've had those two readings. Paul can say, I am convinced that neither death nor life angels nor demons nor anything in the whole of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you, if you're a Christian believer, from Christ. And Jude says this, now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before the glory of his presence with great joy, he is able to keep you from falling. That is, from falling away, from falling beyond recovery on the journey. I don't know what trials you're facing, nor do I know what lies ahead for you. But as Spurgeon says, this is a psalm of great joy, and boy, do we need to sing it. We have a dangerous climb ahead. And my own view is it's going to get more dangerous in the current culture that we are in. It's going to get very dangerous to be a believer. Let's be real about that. But let's not despair. Because Yahweh, the maker of heaven and earth, is with us with faithfulness and power. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth.